one strike pitch. Trail a line drive, foul ball, left field line. Aviles scores. He's still under being waved around. He's going to score. Matty Trio at third and triple. Phillies lead at seven to five. What a comeback by the strike Welcome back to the Waterboys podcast after a one-week hiatus. I am on the line right now with Ryan. King, how are you doing? Good, Pat. How are you today? Uh, I'm good, too. Not not dealing with too many Sunday scaries today. There's a lot of good sports on right now. We got Red Sox-Tigers on ESPN. We got the Stanley Cup on. And we have the U.S. Men's National Team's qualifier against Mexico right now, so... A lot going on on this Sunday night, but again, we're here to give you 20 to 30 minutes of Philly sports talk with no calls from any outsiders, and just give you that little snapshot of something to talk about at the water cooler in the office on Monday. So let's jump right into it, and we're going to start with Flyers talk. Shane Gostisbehere signed a six-year, $27 million deal. Ryan, what do you think? I love the move, Pat. I was... I mean, during a week of just watching Stanley Cup hockey, it was exciting to see some Flyers news. Um, I thought it was a pretty good deal, only being $4.5 million a year. I, he's not going to be a top defenseman in the league anytime, but I think he's a good number two. And any time you can have a defenseman with the offensive mind that he does, I think that it could turn into a bargain, especially since they lock him up for six years, like you said, until he's 30 years old. So he should be able to grow with all the other young talent they have coming up, especially at defense. Yeah, and I'm I'm certainly very into looking into contracts when it comes to the NFL. Not much in ho- as much in hockey, but this seems like a very friendly deal for the Flyers. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, especially since coming. I mean, he's, he had a down year. I think if they would have re-signed him after his rookie year, it would have been much higher. Um, but last year, with the, just his confidence lacking so much, he just, he had a down year. So, I mean, I think they, they took advantage of it and they signed him to an extension. And it could turn out to be a huge bargain, like we said, if he turns back to his rookie year. Uh, but if he st- keeps going like he did last year, then it could end up being a bad deal, locking up for six years. Uh, but I'm going to give him faith and hope that he can regain at least some of that rookie form and make it look like a great deal by the end. Yeah, and it could turn out to definitely be a very savvy move looking back on it, doing it after 
a down year and getting him at that cheaper price than maybe you would if you had waited another year or, like you said, if you had done after the rookie year. So definitely exciting to have a young guy like Gostaspair on the Flyers. He's going to be here for six years. You know he's a solid defenseman and somebody that really is a fan favorite, and you can tell that on Twitter when people are tweeting out their emojis for Ghost and Bear, you know, just every time he scores. So glad to have him around. It's really a theme right now in Philadelphia while – it is a bad time and not any playoff teams in the past calendar year, but the exciting thing is that there are young cornerstones for these teams to build around, and I think that that's something that people can really get excited about. And while the teams aren't winning, you know, watching and enjoying these young guys and seeing what the future is going to bring here in Philadelphia. Yeah, going off that, Pat, I mean, I would completely agree, unfortunately when all you have to talk about is young prospects and young corner pieces, you know all these franchises are in disarray. But they are starting to look up. Take the Sixers, for instance. I mean, Joel, Simmons, Sarge, and then the number three pick coming up here by the end of the month. Um, so, I mean, just building off that, I mean, the cool. Sixers look like they're on the turn. Don't so, forget Okafor. Oh, don't forget oh, Okafor. How could you ever forget Okafor? <laughs> yeah, number three pick. Best number three pick ever. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I wonder if this year's number three pick will be able to live up to Okafor. That's that's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, as long as they, uh, I actually still hope they trade back, to be honest, but that's besides the point. That's a talk for another day. But yeah, I hope the number three pick is at least a little bit better than Okafor. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to ask, but, uh, but we'll see. But you're right, the Sixers, a lot of, a lot of young talent there, and they're really the team that is, Starting to come together, um, they might be, you know, still a year away. They might compete for a playoff spot this year, depending on how healthy they can stay uh, with all those guys that you mentioned, Simmons and Bede, Sarich, uh, if he's still going to be there, and then whoever they bring in this year. So it's definitely exciting, and that month of January last year where they were reeling off win after win uh, was just it was great to watch, and it was exciting. They were, you know, six, seven games out of that eighth spot, but I still look forward to getting home and, watching Joel Embiid and watching them take down, you know, teams like the Raptors and getting big victories. So uh, that's definitely exciting for the future. And then when you look at the Eagles as well, uh, on both sides of the ball, you have two leaders that not only are good players, but really fucking love football. And Carson Wentz is a nerd, and that's what you want from your quarterback, that Peyton Manning type that just lives for the game and lives for playing it and everything about football. And then on the defensive side, you have Jordan Hicks, and he's pretty much the same way. He lives for that, and he just loves football, and he puts everything out there, and that's what you want. These are two young guys that hopefully can develop into superstars. They, you know, once had an up-and-down rookie year, but really showed flashes, and Hicks was a beast last year. He was a beast his rookie year as well, so he is starting to enter the discussion of best middle linebackers in the league. So it's definitely an exciting time for these young guys in Philadelphia. Yeah, go, yeah, especially with Wentz being, like you said, the quarterback of the offense and Hicks being the quarterback of the defense, having your two two strongest leaders at those positions. I mean, you still have like Fletcher Cox on the D-line, and then, I mean, not young, but Malcolm Jenkins in the, in the back, but having Hicks just right in the, right in the center of everything and Wentz on the offensive side the two key positions that you want to build around. I think the Eagles are set there for at least another five to ten years, hopefully ten. Um, but I think getting getting Hicks was a steal, and then Wentz, 
still way, would excuse me still would much rather have him than golf. Yeah. So I mean, I think the Eagles are looking bright. Uh, I hope playoffs this year, but I mean, I just hope they take another turn in the right direction and everyone stays healthy and they just keep building that youth. Yeah, and I I think hitting on on Hicks maybe. Getting that steal makes up for the Okafor pick in some way, you know, cross-sport translation there. But uh, let's let's not leave the Phillies out of this. They, you know, have looked terrible this year, and this was supposed to be another year and the step in the right direction and play around 500 baseball, and it has not been that. But they do have young guys in the system coming up as well, and, you know, they still have some guys that are up here now who are struggling a bit, but they're still young, and there's there's hope for them to be good in the future too yeah the Phillies especially more than any team you need to rely on hope that the team in the majors is so bad yeah that the only bright spot you can have is if you look on the internet and look at all the young prospects like J.P. Crawford um Mickey Moniac Nick Nick Williams Roman Quinn all these guys I mean Sean Kingery I think is leading the major or Scott Kingery excuse me is leading the minors in home runs at second base so they have all these young guys to look forward to, but the majors, uh, the actual Phillies team right now is just abysmal to watch. Yeah, and let's let's jump into that now. I mean, they last time we spoke, they were not playing well, and then they were able to reel off four wins in a row. They won a series, and it was starting to look good. Now they've dropped five in a row. So it just seems like when they're starting to get going a little bit and giving some hope, they've dropped five in a row. So how how yeah. frustrating has it been to watch? And are there are there any bright points that you've seen from this team over the last week plus? I would say the biggest bright spot was uh, Aaron Nola's start last week, mm-hmm. uh, going eight innings, and he wanted to go back out for the ninth, but they they just I guess pitch count didn't let him go out. So you thought maybe he'd build build off that, and then all of a sudden today, just can't even last. I think he lasted four, five innings, five or six innings, and he gave up a three-run homer to Fowler on a three-run pitch, a three-run homer that McCannon was completely pissed about after the game. He would not stop talking about it in his uh, post-game press conference. Uh, but Noah was the one bright spot that I had looking for. I was looking forward to the start today. Um, I thought he was going to come out, build off the eight innings last time, maybe go seven this time, and to only last five. And extend the Phillies losing streak, like you said, to five games. Uh, there's really not much else when it comes to bright spots with the Phillies at this time. Yeah, uh, Herrera leading the league in doubles, correct? That, that is true. I believe I believe he's still leading the league in doubles. So I guess, yeah, you can take that as a bright spot, even though he's still only hitting 250. But you're right. I mean, doubles are important. Yeah, I wonder if Comcast Sportsnet is going to start, like, a doubles watch if this keeps up throughout the year because they have <laughs> – they have nothing else to build off this team, and they need to get people to watch. So, watch in, tune in for the Phillies, Phillies Cardinals. Let's see if Odubel Herrera can keep his three-game double streak up. Yeah, that's pretty much what we've come to. I mean, I hope eventually they just start bringing up all these guys in AAA. But like we've talked about before, it might be better for them to be on a winning team and keep playing down there. But it's just getting—it's getting so frustrating to watch. Even on their four-game winning streak, they still have the worst record in baseball. <laughs> And now going back and losing five straight, they just keep growing that lead. And it's just, it's, it's just becoming, it's, it's simple mistakes. Like I said, like going back to Nola today, a 3-1 pitch with the base open and you try to challenge Fowler with a fastball inside and completely miss your spot. 
and he just drills a three-run homer, and the game's pretty much over from there. Even if you throw, like McCannon was saying, if you just throw away, and even if you miss and you walk them, you start fresh with the next batter, and you live to see another day. But no, he tried to overpower him, which he can't do. And, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, and with all those those young guys in AAA, you know, it, you're, you're eager to bring them up, and you want to see the Phillies win. But like you said, maybe it's better for them to stay down there. And baseball, probably more than any sport, takes the longest to develop, and you really want to – you don't want to rush these guys up because it could – derail their careers and really shatter their confidence. They could be killing in AAA, come up and struggle, and sometimes guys never get a back after that. So uh, there's no agree more with that. yeah, there's no rush in bringing these guys up. The season's a lost cause, and maybe you bring them up as September call-ups or even in August to get some experience up here. But I, I don't think there should be any rush right now. Uh, but to kind of build off of. The young talent, uh, some more can be coming in. The MLB draft starts tomorrow, and the Phillies have the eighth pick? They do, yes. They have the eighth pick. And from everything I've read, I mean, MLB draft is pretty much impossible to pick out of all the drafts. Yeah. Just following that, I mean, they have, I think, like 50 rounds or something like that. Like, it's impossible to stay up to date with. But I know they do say, which could just be smoke screens, they're going to be looking for college pitching this year. Which does just hearing that even just hearing that makes you realize that they're hoping that the end of this rebuild is soon, because the last time they took a college pitcher in Nola in the first round, he was up in 13 months. So I think their their thought process is if they take a college pitcher this year, probably won't be up next year, but that following year is hopefully when the rebuild is is over and they can start being competitive again. And this year's first round pick will be, will be ready to join them. And I know they talked about there's a couple college pitchers. Alex Fadeau from Florida, who, if you fall to eight, I think would be a great pick. Um, but honestly, there's not much I know about these college pitchers or even high school players. Just wait and see, and hopefully once once they uh, once they get drafted, especially that first round pick, hopefully he'll be up in at least two years. Yeah, and it, it's hard to like look into the MLB draft and look at the guys going because they are like years away still. So it's hard to get excited about when you see. People get drafted. I remember when MLB Network was first coming around about a little bit less than a decade ago, and they would air the draft, and I would watch it, and it would be like, oh, this guy's, you know, probably a couple years away from being in the major leagues. And it's like, okay, I'm I'm not even going to remember this guy for the next two years anyways. Why am I following along with this? So definitely that's tougher than the yeah, NFL that's and NBA draft. Yeah, that's my favorite part about the, yeah, part about the, the MLB draft, though is they'll end up drafting these kids in high school, and they're not projected to come to the majors for like five years. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, great, nice. This is exciting. So it is It is tough. I mean, you know, they're they're not holding it at uh, the art museum like the NFL draft. <laughs> no. Not shutting the city not down either. for Major League Baseball. How many people do you think they get to turn out there? I have no idea. I was just reading that. I think there's like there's one of the top four prospects is attending some high school pitcher is going to be at the draft. But I don't even know where it's located. Like I have no idea. Yeah. Or he's just going to be at MLB network. Maybe they just have their own draft or something. I really don't know, but he's going to be attending the draft is what they said. I yeah. doubt that. I don't even know what time it starts tomorrow. I think it's the afternoon, but I really don't know. They just send them to the MLB network to hang out with Harold Reynolds all day. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> pretty much. It would be cool if they did like a fan experience thing like they did it with the NFL draft and you get to face like a machine that's throwing an Aroldis Chapman 104 mile per hour fastball. 
trying to hit that. I think that'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, until one of these drunk people get hit in the head by that fastball, and then there's a lawsuit, and then everything just goes downhill from there. Yeah, somebody films it on their drone, and uh, yeah, Ma- it'd probably be Mauger too. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, somebody walks walks right in front of the 105 mile per hour fastball, <laughs> or tries to act like Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore, and takes it right in the noggin. So glad glad they're not bringing it to Philadelphia and shutting down shutting down all these roads and causing everybody headaches during their commutes. So. I'll I'll probably peek into the MLB draft, but not not gonna pay too much attention. But uh, let's uh, let's change paces here over to the football side of things. And the Eagles continued OTAs last week. Mandatory minicamp begins this week, and not too many headlines last week. There were a few things. Uh, for instance, Timmy Jernigan looked like he sprained his ankle, but that seemed to not be a big deal because he was back out there later this week. So. Just something minor. Uh, one of the bigger things was Doug Peterson mentioned about six players that have stood out for him at OTA so far. And I do want to kind of address the point that these guys are in shorts and t-shirts. They're not in pads. Uh, so there's only so much we can take away. But definitely encouraging things when two of your rookie, three of your rookies get mentioned there. Uh, Rasul Douglas was the first one he has apparently played pretty well at the OTAs, you know, had some struggles, but for the most part has been getting in between a lot of passes, deflecting a lot of passes, and really just doing a a solid job so far in his first transition to an NFL practice and an NFL environment. So, King, how do you feel if Rasul Douglas has a legitimate chance to compete for a starting cornerback job for the Eagles? Does that I would, excite you, or is it kind of scary? No, I mean, I think I would be, I would be very excited if he were to somehow steal that last final, um, final starting job. Going into, I mean, like you said, they're in, they're not in pads or anything, but going in OTAs, he started. Uh, well, he didn't start. He came off the bench basically, or was in the nickel, I think, package when he was. It was the only time he was starting, and then finally last Thursday, the final practice, they finally gave him a chance to start in the base defense which I think is just a sign that they're looking for these young guys to step up, and they definitely see something in them. I don't think they would just be putting them out there. I know it is OTAs, but just putting them out there. Um, if they didn't actually believe that there is a chance that come training camp that he could win a starting job. So, I mean, I think if he was somehow able to pull it off, him and him and Mills, Jalen Mills on opposite side, I think just the youth there going into next season, yeah, there will be some bumps and bruises. But if you somehow are able to have those two start and become legitimate starters, and then when you get Sidney Jones back, he's finally out of a walking boot. I think it just it could end up solidifying your corners, the top of your corners. Still need to add depth, but I think that would be very exciting if he could somehow steal this job coming after training camp. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of agree. I think it's exciting, and I also think it's kind of scary because we mentioned that we think baseball, you know, takes the longest to develop out of any of the sports, and I think in the NFL, cornerback is probably the one that takes the longest to develop. Everyone talks about, you know, we haven't had staple cornerbacks since Sheldon Brown and Lito Shepard, and those guys didn't come out and light the world on fire right away. They came out and they were behind Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor for a year, and when Sheldon Brown got thrown into that 4th and 26th game against the Packers, uh, because Troy Vincent was down with an injury, he really struggled, and 
he really didn't get his his you know bearings for at least until the next year or a couple of years. Uh, and the same thing with Lido Shepard. You look back at Lido Shepard's 2004 season. He was good, but you could still see, uh, you know, those young mistakes in the Super Bowl. He just left the guy pretty much wide open and did not adjust for how much room he was giving him. That was the first touchdown the Eagles gave up. So I think cornerback is the toughest position to learn, and it really takes time. So it's definitely encouraging to hear that Douglas is doing well at OTAs and certainly can't be taken as a bad thing, but I I don't want to get too ahead of myself and bank on the fact that he's going to be a, you know, day one starter for this team and event and just immediately come out into the NFL and be a solid cornerback. It's, it's still going to be a, a learning curve this year and the cornerback's still going to be the weakest spot on this team this year. No, no. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like if he does end up starting and stealing that job, it's, like I said, I'll be excited, but it's not going to do well for the for defense. Um, like you said, rookies make mistakes, especially at that position, especially when you have uh, Terrell Pryor, OBJ, and Des Bryant in your division. So, yeah, it definitely will be a struggle, but I think if they have that much confidence in them, it's going to be a struggle next year. But I'm, I'm going to take that for the future, that they believe in him enough. That, that part will be exciting. But, yeah, I couldn't agree more. This year will be a huge struggle if that does end up happening. Yeah, and the the good thing is that he does have this opportunity to get reps, though, whether he does end up starting, you know, week one or whatever at some point during the season. But right now in OTAs, he's getting those reps with the number one team, and that's pretty invaluable to me, I think. And he's really just getting in there and learning the system uh, and, you know, playing for one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinator in the NFL. And he has veterans around him. He has veteran safeties. So, just getting those reps is a good thing and, you know, might not be there this year, but it's certainly going to help him in the future. But hopefully our cornerbacks don't really have to matter too much because I am hoping that our defensive line is that fucking good this year. And one of the other players that has been praised not only by Peterson, but by Schwartz and by our right tackle, sometimes swinging over to left tackle, Lane Johnson. And that is Derek Barnett. Apparently, he just has been absolutely eating at OTAs and putting the moves on Johnson. Apparently, he beat him three straight times the other day. And again, they're just in shorts and, and a helmet and uh, a shirt. So, can't look into it too much, but that is what is exciting me the most. Um, I think just have, finally having a first round pick uh, that people are excited about obviously wins. So, I meant like. Just don't, I know we talk about Marcus Smith way too much, but just finally having a guy that we anticipate actually being good and have hopes for is exciting. Not having a guy that we project won't, it won't help us for four years. The project will hopefully, it won't probably show up to mandatory, but I think that part about Barnett and like you said, Lane Johnson giving him high praise is one thing that I'll really take away. The coaches always talk, but when another player gets beat that bad, like you said, three times, and is able to give high praise like that. And, I mean, I think he's going to have an immediate impact, as I believe you do, right away, right when week one starts. Yeah, and uh, I think it's really going to help him that they're pretty much going to have a rotation there at defensive end. So Brandon Graham, obviously the head of the DNs, and him and Fletcher Cox got some praise this week that we'll touch on in a minute. But with him, uh, Vinny Curry, Chris Long, and then Barnett himself, that rotation there is going to help Barnett, I think. Uh, you know, he might not put up the big numbers this year because of that rotation, but 
it'll certainly keep fresh legs for that defensive line. And I just really hope that this defensive line does, you know, kill it in the sense that I foresee it happening and really just aids the secondary. But only time will tell. Again, it's still only OTAs. But looking back into last year, uh, Pro Football Focus rated their top 50 players and Fletcher Cox ranked in at number 50, and Derek, or no, I'm sorry, not Derek Barnett. That would be pretty incredible. Uh, Brandon Graham checked in at number 38. So two of those staples on defense that we had mentioned earlier coming in and getting recognition in the NFL, so or in pro football focus. So I hope that they can really be the staples of that defense along with Jordan Hicks and our safeties, Malcolm, Jenkson, Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, uh, did you get to look at the Pro Football Focus ratings at all? I did a little bit, uh, not much. But, I'll, I mean, going right off what you just said about Graham and Cox, I mean, you have two players on your defensive line that are in the top 50, and then you think you add Jer- Jernigan and then Barnett, who, who are both pass rush specialists, basically. Um, I mean, they can do others as well, but this, this defense now just has every all four guys are able to just rush the passer. Um, you got Vinny Curry in there, and you just have guys, and Chris Long, and you guys have you have guys that just want to get to the quarterback. Um, run defense, I mean, will still be a big issue, and I think I think they'll be good. Um, but I think when it comes to pass rush situations, third and long, uh, this defense is just going to get at it, and I think they're going to force a, a lot of big plays um, with turnovers, strip sacks, hopefully strip and score. Um, but I mean, with regard to pro football focus, I think I saw. The Eagles' defense was rated much, much, much higher than their offense, which is as expected. Um, but I didn't look too much into detail. I was a little surprised at the corner or the safeties. I believe, uh, as you were saying, Jenkins and McLeod, they were ranked the fifth best duo in the NFL. I didn't look at the top four, but I, that was a little surprising to me. Just because I thought how well they played last year, they might have even have been in the top three. Um, but I, I don't know if you saw who was in the top four at all. But I was a little surprised that they were only number five. Yeah, I did say that they were number five as well. And I, I mean, I'm fine with that being a top five duo. Uh, you know, there were a couple of people in front of them. I, I feel like the Vikings were up there, uh, you know, with their young guys back there. So, I mean, I, I'm cool with five. And they're definitely a stable back there and can really aid our cornerbacks. So, I, I'm with you. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to get the ball to OBJ and Terrell Pryor and Des Bryant when the quarterback's getting sacked right away every play. So hopefully the defensive line can just blow up offensive lines in that manner and really help out these young cornerbacks because that's, that's really the recipe right now. We know that Jim Schwartz loves to just rush the four and drop seven back into coverage. So if this D-line can do that, you know, this team has a really good chance to be successful this year. And uh, you know, make a make a playoff push and maybe even make a little run in the playoffs. So I certainly don't think that's out of the cards. But only time will tell, and we'll see where this team is in a few months when they go through training camp and start playing uh, some preseason football. Yeah, going off that, Pat, what do you think of the joint practice with the Dolphins? Uh, oh, I love it. I, I love when they do the joint practices. Uh, you know, it's just a couple of days, but gives you a look at another team and what they're trying to do. So I, I definitely think that'll help them. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think what we always used to do with the Patriots, I always thought it was beneficial except for the fact that Belichick stole Eric Rowe from us <laughs> um, because of those. 
uh, joint practices, and he saw something in him that, of course, our, depart- our staff did not see. Um, but, no, I, I love the idea of joint practices. I think the players do, too, just because they finally get to hit someone that's not on their own team. Um, and there's always, there's always a little bit of a fight when you have a joint practice. So I'm just curious who's going to be the one involved in it this year. I could see it probably being Peters or Cox right in the middle of it. Yeah, I like how you you kind of worded that Eric Rowe thing. Like Belichick just took him like while they're at the yeah. practice, and Rowe came out in the Patriots uniform the next day or something. <laughs> <laughs> Howie <laughs> Roseman and like it happened. Peterson were just confused, or Chip Kelly were just confused. It's like in a semi-pro, and Sugar Dunkerton just comes out in a Tropics uniform for the second half of their last game. <laughs> that was Eric exactly Rowe. Pretty much exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. We we just backed down to Bill Belichick. Like, eh, okay. Uh, but, no, yeah, I, I agree. We'll see We'll see who the fights are. Probably a good guess. And, and Peters, I mean, I could see Jenkins getting into it with someone. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if any scuffles actually happen. There was a scuffle at OTAs this week between – Jason Kelsey and uh, Wright, the guy they just picked up from the Lions, but apparently it really wasn't much, you know, just, just some summer heat getting to the guys and maybe a little a little extra shoving and pushing after the play, and it really didn't amount to much. So glad there hasn't been too much of that going on so far. Uh, the one thing I did want to mention uh, a minute ago, I kind of lost my train of thought where I wanted to go when we were discussing uh, the defensive line, but... I just think back to that Vikings game last year where they absolutely destroyed that offensive line. Sam Bradford had no time, and there was just no doubt to me that they were going to come away with that game. That was when the Vikings were undefeated, and you could kind of tell pretty early in that game that the Eagles were dominating on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm really hoping for more of that this year. Obviously, you can't get that type of turnout every game, uh, but if they could get more of that and against some of division rivals and maybe do that to that Cowboys offensive line that has been a staple there for years. Uh, you know, that, that would be huge for the Eagles. Yeah. And like, and like we said, I just like that they're finally now building in the trenches again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what the, that's what Reed did. And I'm glad that that's now what Peterson's doing and going off, just even going off the Vikings game. Um, not even, I mean, not even talking about the Vikings, but just the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, one same of the thing best there. offenses in the league last league last year, and you hold them to I think with two touchdowns. I think it was like I don't remember the exact. It was like score. twenty-four to fifteen, something like that. I think yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. When you hold an offense like that to only fifteen points, uh, I mean, just shows you the, the how the defense, the possibilities that they have, um, and I think just they're going to just keep growing together, especially under Shorts Shorts' uh, unit like playbook and just learning the system. But I think it's really sky's the limit for him. Yeah, and uh, last thing that I want to talk about today is the offensive line. Uh, Pro Football Focus put out a graphic that rated each Eagles offensive lineman. And if I remember correctly, four out of the five, uh, aside from the center, which was Kelsey, were rated in the top 11. So almost all four were rated in the top 10 of their positions. So that is just a really good sign for this offensive line here. I got the the graphic right here. Jason, Jason Peters was sixth at left tackle. Uh, Barber was 11th at left guard. Brooks was third at right guard. And Lane Johnson was third at right tackle. So uh, this offensive line, you know, just playing together for another year, and they have a lot of depth there, which is always a good thing on the offensive line. If somebody goes down, they have guys that can move around and, 
can plug and play pretty much and be serviceable backups and, uh, you know, really hold together that line for Carson Wentz. So I agree, building, building in the trenches, I, I love it. And it's really the recipe that got, you know, Andy to all those playoff games and all those playoff runs. And getting into the playoffs gives you a chance to win the big one. So hopefully this uh, recipe that Roseman has put together with Schwartz and Peterson can start to pay off this year. Yeah, and I, like you said, Pat, I mean, Kelsey is going to be the big question mark because you need your center to be the leader of that offense. And I think, did you say what you, who's rated 27th? Is that what you said? Yeah, or, 27th yeah. out of 38. 27th. It's just you need better production out of your center, especially one that's supposed to be a pro bowl uh, center. And if he can have a bounce back year, then the offensive line will be amazing. Uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I have that much faith in him anymore and whether or not Isaac Somolta, whatever, however you say his last name, Siamalo. will ever end up. Yeah, do you know how to say it? Yeah, Siamalo. Siamalo, wow, okay. Um, I think, if honestly, if he can somehow show up and take over as that starting center, I think that him replacing Kelsey, I know I know Kelsey has been here, he's been a leader, but I honestly think if he could, he gets a chance to replace him, I think the offensive line will even be better. Yeah, and uh, one one thing for Kelsey's case here, he did play better down the stretch. Uh, you know, he did play pretty well in that, that Seahawks game, if I remember correctly. And that might just come from playing next to guys all year and something finally starts to click once once you get all those reps with, you know, the same guys next to you on each side. Uh, you know, you start to play better and maybe missing Lane Johnson you know, didn't help him out all last year. And even if Kelsey could just improve to, like, 20th, that difference between 20th and 27th uh, could be huge for this team, especially when you have great guys around you. Um, so we'll see what happens with the center position. It's certainly a question mark, and it'll be something to keep an eye on this season and the rest of OTAs and training camp. But uh, let, let's wrap it up here. Uh, hopefully we hit all of the big headlines for this week in Philly sports, even though – it's kind of a dead time of year, and we're, we're looking to get into the Sixers a little bit more, uh, and we'll, we'll do that once the NBA Finals conclude. But, Ryan, is there anything else you want to talk about today? No, not really. The only other thing, honestly, and it doesn't have to do with Philly sports, but I'm watching, I don't know if you're watching right now, but the NHL playoffs, the Predators just got completely screwed out of a goal. And, of course, it's always Pittsburgh that gets the, gets the benefit of the doubt. The referee blew the call dead because he didn't see the puck. And the puck was sitting on the goal line. The guy tapped it in, and they said no goal because he blew the whistle too early. So what would have been a one nothing game is still tied as we speak because the Penguins get everything. Oh. But, yep, go ahead. That's it. That's going to hurt. And uh, the Penguins are, are a good example of how drafting well can you know lead to lead – to, uh, dare I say dynasty, or if not, just a really good team that can compete year in, year out, and win championships. So hopefully the Phillies can do that in this upcoming week. The Sixers can replicate that, and the Flyers are the number two pick as well. But that, that'll do yeah, it for this week. We look forward to. Yeah, that's what we had to look forward to. <laughs> uh, you know, patience is a virtue, so, uh, you know, just, just stay patient out there. But thanks for listening. Uh, go on iTunes, give us give us a little comment or a rating, uh, hopefully a good one. But uh, until next time. You make you an overnight celebrity. Know what I'm saying? Why don't we play some of these pros alike? Drop whips, I know they like. Twist it, you told a ride. Make you a celebrity overnight. Give you ice like Kobe, right? We 
your name. Girl, don't just like to blow your brains. Put you in the familiar no four range. Still sexy when you smoke that flame. Jerkin' like a chicken while you throw that thing. She got me hotter than the oven the way that she talks. Switching the freaking so I'm loving the way that she walks. You lookin' good, girl, you wanna be a bitch. Listen to me, I see your career going sky high. Taking you home to the crib in the shot and every time I see the bye bye, cry when I drive by. Watching you should be a thrill, got the feelings of some Johnny Gills that be screaming, my, 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 my. Oaking the carpet with the diamonds that make us dark. Kicking it on the country when I'm sick. Bob. 